Good morning. morning. Greg and I have been so encouraged by um, everyone's participation in the practice period. And um, we've done this new thing of having two sits a month, which is a lot for us as lay people. Um, And it's just wonderful because people are showing up and sitting together. And um, today we have such a big group. And I was thinking, oh, maybe this is like how the practice period is building, and so we're coming together more and more. And maybe it's because Thanksgiving is coming up, and we have to work with our family karma. (laughs) Maybe we can use a little more support, maybe a combination of many of these things. But it's really wonderful to um, feel all of you. And... um, And I'm just feeling that chant, which is just so powerful, this Ehe Koso Hotsugamon. And it really um, feels like it resonates with some of the things that I want to talk about today. So um, it's kind of, I think it's kind of fun when I I want to share with you. Um, But before I do, I wanted to, I woke up this morning and um, I looked at my email and I got this. email from the Brooklyn Zen Center site. I think Krista Miskell had posted a article. Um, and I read it, and I just lit up in delight. <laughs> I, I love this article. I won't go into the article, but I wanted to share one little piece of it. it in, and it kind of feels that way, that in a sense, um, what I've come to feel and practice is that if we look and we feel, there's all these, like, um, this is what I'll talk about later, all these little um, supports from the universe, all these Buddhas coming in and offering, for me, I think sometimes just the right medicine I need. So um, I'm just sharing this little piece that she wrote. It's an encouragement for me, um, and it's also a little plug for (laughs) reading this article, uh, which is called Enlightenment is a Male Fantasy. So that should intrigue you, I think. <laughs> and it's really a take on Zen and um, the, f- the feminine and uh, some of the challenges there. So she says, there are no wise words that are going to help you because there is no substitute for doing it yourself. There's no teacher who can say anything that will be a substitute for your own time and effort. I think the only useful thing a teacher can do is to show someone that their life is their own life, and their karma is their own karma, meaning that you're choosing how to live your life in every moment. I've never had a teacher, quote, help me in any other way than that. So um, that took a little pressure off me. (laughs) And also felt like a, a bit of an encouragement, because that's really what I wanted to share with you today, is a little bit about Um, looking at karma, how we work with karma, and um, how we actually choose our own life. We choose our, what kind of life we are going to have moment after moment. And in the cosmology I'm going to talk about today, literally what world we live in. What kind of world do we live in? And um, and it's both. You know that there is a collective karma that we are subject to as well. There are, um, and that we also contribute to that karma. 
And I was thinking, you know, we have, um, we have such an urgency, I feel such an urgency, as I might say at the beginning of every talk, that um, this practice feels more important than ever. I don't know of any other way to help respond to the collective karma that I think it, the fruits of which we are feeling in a very different kind of way than the way we work with our moment-to-moment -moment karma. So, um, and I think I didn't sleep so well last night because the last thing I saw um, before I went to sleep was, and, uh, was something about uh, some of the animals who were affected in the fires in California. And we were on the phone yesterday with the Dharma sister of ours, Pam Weiss, who said that nobody can leave their houses in um, San Francisco. The, the, the schools were closed. Um, I saw a picture of my best friend, Courtney, um, in Sonoma County with a, a mask on her face because she couldn't breathe. And so this is the uh, impact of our collective karma. And... Um, how do we open up to that, sit in the midst of that? You know, we talk about practicing like our hair is on fire. I mean, we really are on fire. And how do we um, build a, a, um, a musculature, is the way I think about it. How do we build um, a uh, robustness and a, a strength, but also a deep, exquisite sensitivity at the same time. And I think both of those things are needed in order to respond. So, <clears throat> so this practice period, we've been looking at karma. And um, just to keep repeating what we mean by that, because it, it's just a world of delusion and confusion <laughs> easily you can fall into with this word. It means um, very simply, uh, the intention that we are studying intentionality, that in every moment of body, speech, and mind, our intention, as well as our impact, is our karmic um, world. And it's not this for that, you know, um, I did this, therefore this is happening to me. It's, it's, it's all mixed in with, a hu with every other being and their karmic um, situation. So uh, we take total responsibility for our responses. And so that's where we land. We land right here. Um, in fact, Bhikkhu Bodhi said, the first step into the Buddhist Eightfold Path is the recognition and acceptance that your life is go governed by the law of karma. So in, in Buddhist cosmology, which I'll talk about today, or ancient Buddhist cosmology, the, we say the, the whole world is actually created, maintained, and sustained, the karmic world, by our collective karma. So we literally, we are constantly uh, living in a, in a karmic stream of influences. And that... Um, we inhabit different, um, every moment is a chance for us to inhabit and either act out on our karma or work with our karma in a particular way from a practice perspective in which we can be with that karma in a way in which it causes no more harm 
and may actually become a force for um, healing in the world. So, <clears throat> so I want to just describe this. There's a lot of Buddhist cosmology. I, I really got overwhelmed and, <laughs> and intimidated by it. So I, I'm, I'm going to reduce it down to something that is palatable for me and hopefully for you guys. And also because I want to go into our bodies and not into our heads. So this isn't an, isn't an intellectual discussion about karma, but I'm wanting to kind of bring us into an experience of, of what um, certain kinds of karmas look and feel like. So there is um, this uh, idea of six realms of existence. And for some of you, this is, a, this is an Indian concept, though the Tibetans um, have represented this in a very famous tanka called the Wheel of Life. And um, these are the, this is the whole thing is karma being held by this guy. Do you see this kind of fierce being? You might not be able to see him. Anyway, that's impermanence, holding all of the karmic world together. And in the center is the three poisons of greed, hate, and delusion, represented by a pig, uh, a snake, and a bird. And um, so I'm just going to describe these six realms. And I enjoy them because they're visceral to me. They're visual, which I'm a visual and visceral kind of person. And also, as a, they're very uh, interesting psychological. Um, uh, it's a psychological frame. So as a, as a psychology-minded person, I, I really appreciate this. And um, so it's how we move moment to moment uh, and you know, traditionally lifetime to lifetime through these realms. And um, so not to get caught up in too, too much about the rebirth part, but just think of it as a map of the mind, of the karmic mind. One person called it suffering emotion, what suffering emotion looks like. And I like it too, I just want to say, the other thing is it's cyclical. So we often think about suffering and, and enlightenment on some kind of linear realm. And uh, in the Buddhist cosmology, we're in a cyclical realm. And I would say a three-dimensional realm or a multi-dimensional realm of unseen beings um, acting and supporting us when we're stuck in these realms. So as I describe them, I would like for you to all participate in a particular way. I want to encourage you to just imagine you're going on a journey into these realms. And I had the image come up of Dante. <laughs> we're going like, if we go backwards, we're going like Dante into these different hell and heaven realms. And I, I forgive me, I'm, I'm not a Star Trek person, but the other way to go is in the future, you know, that you're on a spaceship and you're entering into these other strange worlds. And when you hear about these different realms, um, what I'd like you to do is just imagine what they feel like. Because these are places that each of us undoubtedly has um, got stuck in, has visited, has relaxed in, has woken up in. And um, so to, to imagine, as I, I share a little bit, you know, when have you been caught in these kinds of realms? Uh, what views bring you into these realms? What behaviors do you exhibit when you're in these realms? 
is there a particular realm that's your kind of favorite? <laughs> and I don't mean favorite in terms of pleasurable, but favorite in terms of habitual. Um, and also, how might we look at these realms as our collective realms? You know, how does this point to our collective karma as, as a country, as a, as a, a, a world? So here we go. So the first realm, we're going to start, um, they ascend and descend. And, and basically, depending on the way we've practiced or what we've done, we kind of move um, into, descend into lower realms or move up into higher realms. So we're going to start with the lowest. We'll start at the, in the core, or the, not the core, but the down part of the cycle, which is a hell realm. So in this realm, um, as you might imagine, because we have a lot of imagery around hell, is that in this realm, there is intense anguish and intense suffering. Our world, when we're in this realm, is dominated by nightmares, by horror, by fear, and desperation. So it's a very extreme kind of suffering. And when people are in this realm, or beings are in this realm, they're so weighted down by their karma, by their suffering, that they lose all perspective on what's happening. And their loss of perspective causes them to spiral down and down into more misery. And their pain causes them to act in increasingly harmful ways. They're so overwhelmed by their suffering, it makes them unable to appreciate or enjoy any pleasure whatsoever. And the other suffering of this realm is because they are suffering so intensely, it absorbs all their energy and they can't think about anybody else. And this unbearable pain makes them lash out at others even unaware they're causing harm because they're so self-absorbed in their pain. What I'd like you to think about for a minute is what that might look like in our lives. You know, um, How might you have wound up in this realm? And um, sometimes it's momentary, and sometimes it can last for weeks and days and years. There is uh, ideas about what puts you in these realms and gets you out of these realms. And some of this is um, related to a, a more traditional idea of rebirth. But I did want to mention that uh, in one of the teachings, it said one of the ways you get into a hell realm um, is creating a schism in the sangha. <laughs> so that was a, a little plug for <laughs> how precious this, this uh, body of practitioners are. And also, uh, this is a little more being quarrelsome and annoying to others. So uh, that can get you right into a hell realm. Also, you know, I, and again, it's such an interesting thing to think about psychological maps and, and laying them on each other, you know. But uh, I really think a lot also in my work with others, when people are in a place of a lot of self-hatred and self-loathing, um, shame, I, I feel like, is a real hell realm and um, corrosive doubt. So those are some of my... My, my hell realms there. Um, so let's get out of hell for the moment and go up another realm, which is called the hungry ghost or preta realm. 
So what are beings like in this realm? What do they experience? Well, many of you, I think, who have some experience with uh, Buddhism, we uh, haven't done this in this in this Sangha, but we at Halloween, we have a ceremony around the hungry ghosts, you know, and even in our orioki, uh, we don't do it here, but we sometimes leave a little grain for the hungry ghost to try to support um, them getting out of this hell, this hungry ghost realm. So the imagery is of a hungry ghost. They have very long, thin necks, so thin they can't take anything in. And if they try, uh, everything burns that they swallow. And they have those big bloated bellies that happen when you're starving you know, and you can't get any food in. And their anatomy is so frail, they, can't, they just can't take anything in. And um, Greg mentioned to me that there was an ancient belief that they lived, that these hungry ghosts really lived with humans, right around humans underground in these putrid pits, you said, yes. And uh, I think, you know, this is kind of related to the idea of goblins or all these kind of ghost-like figures that are haunted and can't have um, peace. So beings in this realm are consumed by insatiable thirst and hunger, feelings of insatiable need, hunger or emptiness, and that um, they can't fill that up, that they're perpetually looking for something or someone to satisfy their sense of lack. And this is really the realm of addictions, you know, which I think can also go into the hell realm as it, as it spins down. Um, so this is where uh, um, people have kind of used um, recovery, looking at this imagery of the hungry ghost, um, that we're trying to search for something to kind of soothe and satisfy us, but it really isn't nourishment. It just creates more pain. And it's a, just a feeling of never being able to be contented. So the, I think the attachment here in this realm is an attachment to lack. Uh, and I, it feels to me kind of like that dukkha, what we talk about as dukkha. And this is what's so tricky about spiritual practice as we talk about, you know, there, there's the Heart Sutra, no attainment with nothing to attain. And yet we sit and we sit and we sit. What is this paradox? But we, it is so, it's such a slippery piece. Uh, you know, I think um, Tia for 20 years has said to me, look, just slipped in again. You really think you're going you're, you're gonna to be a better something if you keep practicing? Caught me again. <laughs> this is very, very uh, tenacious and good to note. Yeah, because it, it leaves, it, it, it's, it's in the realm of the ego that we are fundamentally okay, if there, and it creates a sense of separation um, between what we have and where we're at and what we um, think we need. Okay, so uh, let's move up another realm. Uh, into the animal realm. And um, uh, I don't know why I want to say this, but Green <laughs> Mission, you know, I, I love my animals and I think that my dogs, and I think they have um, a beautiful limbic heart, you know. So this is, to me, this is an Indian uh, cosmology, uh, and I don't want to say this is like the the way I want to think about animals. And, um, but I do see my dogs exhibit many of these behaviors, so it's not not true. Um, so this is the instinctual realm. And what 
what we are when we're in this realm, these beings are run around by their sensory desires, their primitive sensory desires. So it's all about being absorbed in the eating and the sleeping and the reproducing. It's like going from instinctual need to instinctual need. Um, and with very little uh, control, self-control over our bodies or our, or our desires, it's like, I guess, from a 14, the id run amok. You know, we're just kind of like going from thing to thing. Um, we're totally controlled by it. And to me, this is the realm and the survival realm. Again, um, you know, that, that it's, there's fear there, but it's a very low-level instinctual fear uh, for survival. And I think that's the attachment. It's just like a survival attachment. Um, we're not going to survive. You know, we have to keep focusing on um, going from, um, uh, you know, our lives are just organized around the most basic functioning. So, and we, we live in a kind of a mechanical way. Yeah, that there, in a way, when we're in this world, we don't feel like we have a lot of choice or freedom or creativity. We're being driven by things. And also, there's not a lot of imagination in this realm. Um, or a lot of, again, uh, getting outside of our own instincts to see what else is going on or our impact. So there's um, the, the um, we're going to move now into um, going up the ladder. And um, the next realm is the human realm. And I want to actually skip that for a moment and get back to it. Uh, but, but place market that this is where it is in the continuum. And then we're going to go um, to the jealous gods, um, which has to do with uh, excessive hatred or excessive anger. So this is, to me, one of the most intriguing realms. So these jealous gods are a little bit below the gods. And they have almost as much abundance as the gods do, who have a lot of abundance. But they're not satisfied with their abundance. They're preoccupied with acquiring more things. So they're jealous of what others have. They're completely competitive with others. They're always looking with this comparative mind uh, they're always in a state of frustration and anger. You know, they can't enjoy what they have because it isn't, because they're pissed off about what they don't have. And in fact, as long as someone has something they don't have, they're not satisfied. And they would prefer to destroy something rather than let somebody else have it. So it's a desire to control all the power and all the pleasure. And they think that they're super powerful because they've developed a fortress and all of these different kinds of things to keep others out and protect and defend their own stuff. <laughs> but you know, underneath it, they actually aren't so powerful. And they know it. So uh, they actually, all they do is they just try to go to war with the gods. So they're constantly engaging in war. And this is actually where Mara lives, our, our favorite uh, uh, friend of the Buddha, <laughs> Mara, who's always trying to undermine the Buddha and undermine practice, and doesn't like when others are feeling a sense of freedom and liberation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, they have more, they have power, they have a lot of power, yes, right, so this shows up, and shows up everywhere, can show up everywhere, there's no place 
that it, it might not show up, and it's also, you know, shows up in us, you know, um, and that's what we're looking at, right? How does this show up in us? So I want to um, go quickly to like how we work with this. So I have to <laughs> move a little quicker. Um, the God realms. Uh, you might imagine this is uh, where people live above others. They're in a dream world where everything comes easily to them. They're self-absorbed and intoxicated by pleasure. That's their attachment, is pleasure and ease. Um, they pursue meaningless distractions. They're blind to the harsh realities, the death, the suffering of others or themselves. They pay no attention to their spiritual progress because they're so... Um, absorbed in their pleasures. And um, this uh, is, even though it's a God realm, it's a, a, a realm of suffering. It's a realm of karmic suffering. Because they are not able to practice, and they're attached. They're deeply attached to their pleasure. And they also create harm by ignoring their, that, that uh, they're ignoring what else is going on. We kind of get to a certain point where we're not suffering so much anymore, and then we just kind of ride it, like we go on autopilot, you know, and, and think we can, can kind of maintain that. Also, you know, for me, I think this happens almost on a daily basis. For me, you know, I open up uh, the computer and I see enormous suffering, right? Like we use that example of the wildfires. I mean, you just name it. You can just... It's, a, it's available, and then what do I do? I kind of shut my computer <laughs> and um, go have a sandwich and just go away, right? I just, I want to go back to a sense of um, calm and ease, and I can't afford, you know, I don't want to um, leave that realm and really uh, take in what my, uh, what's happening in the rest of the world. So we go to humans. <clears throat> And this is, as many of you may know, this is uh, seen in Buddhism, and we talk about it all the time, and it's in the, as the most extraordinarily rare and extraordinarily precious realm. This is the realm that is so important because it's the realm where we can practice. Um, there is a, a story uh, that the Buddha always tries to tell how rare this human life is, and he says, you know, there's a, Imagine the great earth becomes one mass of water and a person throws a yoke with one single hole into the water and the east winds drive, the, drive west and the west winds drive east and the north south and the south north. So there's all winds going on in this water moving it and a blind turtle comes to the surface once every hundred years. And this is how rare a human life is, is that a blind turtle coming to the surface of all those waves once every 100 years inserts its neck through that single hole of the yoke. So he really wants us to understand how precious this life is. And the, in this realm, it's precious because we have this, for the most part, unless we're stuck in these other realms as humans, a unique balance of pleasure and pain. So if we had too much pleasure, not great for practice. And um, there's a lot of folks who I know have... Um, I mean, we all have different levels of privilege who have so much possibility that sometimes it's really hard for them to practice because there's so many other options for them. And um, we want just enough pleasure, not too much, and just enough pain um, because the pain helps support us to help start to seek out what is this life about, what is this suffering about, like the Buddha did. Why, 
well, how do we respond to the suffering of the world, old age, sickness, and death? So we, in this realm, we experience emotions, but we're not intoxicated or depressed by them. And we sufficiently feel the force and weight of our habits, but we have enough awareness to resist them, and what Alex was starting to talk about. Um, so this is a very uh, auspicious opportunity because we can wake up to the spiritual dimension of our lives and we're motivated to explore it. And I really, uh, I, I take great comfort in this because it does help wake me up out of these realms that not only is a human realm um, a blessing, but to find the Dharma is also a rare and hopefully increasing blessing for many of us in this world and that to practice it and then keep it alive the way we're doing today by sitting together, by listening to each other, by supporting each other is um, incredible. So it helps us, I think, to think about it this way because then we, we can, it can help pull us out of this idea of always looking at the lack and the suffering and the sense of separation. So there is operating in this world at all times in these realms um, the Dharma is speaking to us and, and supporting us around the getting out of these realms and finding where we actually are. So all of those realms in, you notice, have a little bit of a sense of separation. There's a little bit of a disconnect. There's not a whole embodiment that people are, in, beings in these realms are a little bit disconnected. Um, and... Uh, this is kind of like um, those realms, you can even say, are, are what you experience just go from one to one before you start practicing. And once we start practicing, we actually can be with those realms in a different kind of way where we're actually not caught in them. And I don't say that again in a linear way because moment to moment, I, I was studying it this week. It's like every moment I was like, what realm am I in now? <laughs> oh, what realm am I in now? And yet, the one that was aware, that was asking that question and able to notice it and be with it was, um, was the uh, blessing of the Dharma that allowed me to be somewhat liberated from it because I could see it clearly. And this is what we do when we sit on the cushion. So um, I, I don't have time to go through these, but I was really excited because in this cosmology, there's a bodhisattva, a Buddha, that goes to each realm and offers something to just perfect for that particular realm. And I, I love this because when we practice, we actually have so many dharmic, uh, so many teachings that can help support us in a particular moment. So we're always telling you about, you know, five this and 12 this and five abodes and six paramitas and the precepts. So these are all teachings, which is kind of like medicine to offer each of the realms. So I just want to say the, um, in the God realm, a white Buddha comes to the God realm and, and plays a flute. And that flute is the song of impermanence. Because when we're uh, really uh, lost in the lull of pleasure and we can kind of apply that particular medicine and remember that all pleasurable things end, and we can't grab onto it and hold it and maintain it. So in the angry god realm, we have a green Buddha 
which means harmony or balance. So this Buddha comes with a sort of, of wisdom, and it's like um, telling them, please channel that competitiveness with others into defeating ignorance through wisdom. So we, when we get caught in that realm of, of angry, competitive gods, we can remember the wisdom of, um, that, of non-attachment and of uh, dependent co-arising that my happiness is, is, is um, connected to your happiness. In the Preta realm, in the realm of hungry ghosts, um, a red Buddha offers um, this uh, soothing nectar, which is sweet, right? It's like a, it's what we'd say, it's manifesting generosity. So when we're in that lack place, how can we be, uh, feel and take in the generosity that's all around us? We think we don't have anything and we need to grasp something and we forget to feel the generosity that's already here. You know, can you feel the generosity in this room um, and, and stop thinking that that comes, um, that's something that you have to search for. It's actually already here. And can you take it in just a little bit? <laughs> and for some of us, this is hard. It's really actually hard to open up to the generosity of others. Um, some of us don't really know or, or, or can accept help so well. So this is the, this is the medicine for us. In the um, hell realm, I love this. It's, it's, uh, the Buddha offers a soothing balm. And another image is, um, offers a mirror. And I think when, when I'm caught in a hell realm, what I really need is, a, is, is um, a compassionate mirror. I need a lot of compassion. You know, the, the other day I was in a hell realm. I knew it because um, my trauma operates, I get frozen. So whenever I'm, I'm, I go to a hell realm, often it's because I, I get frozen and disassociated and disconnected. And I was sitting there, and this is what we do as a practice. We begin to enter into that realm. You know, we, we sit zazen, we gain stability, and then we start to get curious about that realm. We're not trying to get out. We're just trying to relate differently to it. So I was like, okay, I'm watching, I'm watching, and I'm like, what is there? And I'm like, wow. I could feel it right now, jaw, tighten, everything kind of starts to close down. It's a freeze response. That's my trauma response. And in that moment, as I, and I was, and I was doing that with love, like, oh, you poor thing. And all of a sudden, the image came up of this kind of warming, um, loving presence all around me. I imagined all of these loving beings. I imagined this sangha all supporting me to be able to kind of warm out of that cold hell <laughs> and feel reconnected. And then it, it broke, and I, I, I escaped. <laughs> um, and for the animal realm, it's the Buddha offers a book so that when we're in this instinctual place, we really have to wake up and begin to um, gain some wisdom about the world and start to read the teachings. So we have something to um, step us out of the instincts. And then in the last realm is the human realm. And um, in this realm, the Buddha is dressed as a monk. So uh, this is uh, the realm of renunciation. And that if we, um, 
to say, like we do in the Han, wake up, wake up, life is precious. So can we, um, when we're in this practice mode, keep remembering um, to renounce attachment, renounce ignorance? So um, zazen, awareness, where are you? What realm am I in right now? The rest of our zazen today, our, our one day sit, we can notice when are we in, what realm are we in? Maybe we'll be in like intoxicated by the lunch <laughs> and be in the pleasure realm. Maybe we'll be in a hell realm during lunch because our knees hurt so badly we can't tolerate it. Um, so what do we do with that pain in that moment? What's the, what's the medicine? What's the specific dharmic medicine? Um, can I enter more deeply into it so I can feel and understand? And then um, all these realms, we practice the precepts in every realm. So all Buddhas, all the time, are practicing the precepts in these realms. And there is always, um, if you look around, there is always somebody supporting you. And I love Zen because it has this idea of ancestors. And I want to just say this because I love moving out of the rational realm, that I actually don't think of this as symbolic I think, or metaphorical. This is literal, that there are literally <coughs> beings all around us supporting us, whether it's these beings in this room, all of our teachers, our families that got us here, our ancestors. And um, we were in a group last week, and we evoked the ancestors, not the necessarily our, our, our Dharma ancestors, but we evoked our literal familial ancestors, and they came in the room. And people were incredibly moved. They couldn't believe it. So if we can open up and listen to which of the little colored Buddhas are coming in in this moment of zazen to help support you. And then... The, the best part of the whole story, and then I'll stop, is that um, one of the most satisfying, deeply nourishing things one can do is to actually be one of those Buddhas and one of those Bodhisattvas. And we do that for each other. So we extend generosity. We go into those realms and understand those because we understand those realms better. We've been through that trauma. We can meet other people's trauma and offer them and maybe you see this. You see somebody like stuck inside of some psychological state that's so painful, and you, 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 you kind of check out what what can I do? You know, what does my Dharma body say right now? I offer you this. I offer you mostly kindness, you know, compassion, generosity. We have so many tools in our medicine kit to offer, and. Um, So can we keep practicing that so we can be a bodhisattva that can enter other realms in service of suffering beings? And um, we need it, right? We need need a lot of medicine folk, right? So thank you for for doing the hard training today, the the medical training, (laughs) the psychological training. So um, practice that, right? Notice the, the... the realm, and then notice also your, your Buddha body that's there as well, which already has that wisdom and compassion available.
<sighs> so much I wanted to get in. I got it in. Three minutes late. <laughs> Thank you for, for your... Um, for your attention and your participation, and um, I hope you enjoy. I hope you enjoy um, your journeys today. Thank you. May our intention equally. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.